Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about some things that are happening at the Walt Disney Company and some things that affect the Walt Disney Company that are worth spending a few minutes talking about. So let's start at the top, and I mean quite literally at the top, with the CEO. Bob Iger announced his retirement, and uh, they announced that Bob Chapek would be taking over. Now, there are some people out there who will tell you, oh my God, this is, you know, the world is, the world is ending. It's, you know, this is a big thing for Disney because, you know, they replaced him and blah, blah, blah. And the reality is not that at all. It turns out that uh, about five years ago, Bob Iger had announced that he wanted to retire from the Walt Disney Company. And the company encouraged him to stay on for longer and gave him a new contract to stay for a longer period of time because it was just, they were, they were trying to herald a new era and he could leave his legacy and leave his mark. They kind of talked him into staying. So they had just recently, or were in the process of completing the purchase of the, uh, the Lucasfilm. They had just recently started to build on the idea of Avatar, the Pandora world. Uh, So they were actually just breaking ground on that. So there was, there was something to be built there. They were getting into the era of wanting to buy the Fox properties. So all of those things come together as the uh, something really great that he could leave his mark on. So he stayed around and he agreed to stay for a few, few more years. Now, there is no surprise here that he was going to retire. Uh, Bob had said for a while that his plan was to retire. But it happened kind of suddenly and it happened like on a Wednesday afternoon. So everybody felt like it was this knee-jerk reaction to something. But I'm here to tell you that that's not the case. This was long planned. It was in the works for a while. Uh, And Bob Chapek had been one of the top three or four people that were on the list to replace him. I can't remember who the others were now off the top of my head, but there were several people that were on the short list and they were all uh, employees, cast members, whatever you want to call them, of the Walt Disney Company. The thing about replacing CEOs is if the company is doing well and they're successful and things are going well, you don't want to upset the apple cart. You don't want to impact your stock price by going out and conducting an external search and making a change and coming up with somebody different. That will adversely impact you. If the company is not doing well, you may consider the board may actually go out and look, do an external search and look for somebody to replace. But in this case, the company is doing really well. Bob Iger left them in good shape. They're in a good spot. So it makes a lot of sense for him to go ahead and step away now and them just just to promote from within. Now, as far as Bob Chapek goes, he's been with the company for a number of years. He worked in uh, some of the uh, distribution channels on the entertainment side. So he's working with some of the entertainment pieces and kind of earned his ears that way, if you will. And then worked his way up to a higher position in the company. I think most previously or most recently, he was the uh, president of the parks. So he really has a good fundamental understanding of how the parks run and how that cash cow really comes together and how they really do a lot of things there. And that that does fund a lot of their activities. So there's that interesting piece there that I think there's a lot of continuity and I think it'll be a very good thing for the company. The stock price will probably remain where it is, barring any other factors, and we'll get to those in a minute. But 
it's kind of an interesting thing the way this all works out. So I think there's a lot of opportunity here. I think Bob Chapek will probably be a good, really good CEO. Nice um, transition to him from Bob Iger. Look, Bob Iger was not a bad CEO. You can say what you want about him, but he was very successful in the role. I think he was very uh, forthright, forthright and honest. I don't. It's a rare day, and I don't think it's ever happened that a CEO is perfect, and everyone goes, "Wow, we love that guy." That's all there is to it. I think had Walt Disney been the CEO at some point you know, in modern times, as opposed to in the sixties, I think there would have been more questions about some of his ambitions and how he was spending his money than there were at the time. So anyway, I think that this is a really good move. I think it's, it's good for Disney. Now as also, as far as the timing, uh, there's an interesting thing that happens. This is an industry standard thing. If you look across fortune 500 companies, the way they set up their bonusing structure for everyone in the company pretty much top to bottom, but especially at the top where you have your senior executives, the officers of the company, the board of directors will take a look at the annual report and make a decision about how well the company did and award a bonus based on that and the contract that these these executives have. Everybody signs a contract. So they give the money based on how well that uh, the company performed. They typically will grant the money and vote on it sometime in late January, early February to make the decision to, uh, to grant the money. So anybody who's at the top will always wait until that bonus has been awarded and granted to them before they will announce their retirement because they want to make sure that they're maximizing their profit. So it's an interesting thing that happens here. And this is, like I said, this is pretty industry standard that way that uh, CEOs and senior executives will stay around until bonus time to make sure that they get what they can get out of it. Now, Bob Iger will be staying around as a, sort of a consultant. I think he's I think he stays as chairman of the board for now uh, to help transition and make sure that the company stays successful. He wants to maximize his own bottom line as well. Now, another reason to do this now, uh, right now, as opposed to like in later March, is because there's a, a shareholder meeting that's coming up. And the amount of his bonus will certainly come up as a topic for discussion. But you don't want it to be the only topic for discussion and the primary thing people are talking about when they're talking about his money and the direction of the company. So by leaving now, that discussion happens early and it'll come up as a point of discussion during the shareholder meetings, but it won't be the central point of everything. So that's important to realize too. So all of these things come together and that's the way this works. I mean, this is business. This is the way business is. Bob Iger had wanted to retire. Bob Iger stayed around to shepherd in a new era. People will tell you that this is a knee-jerk reaction. This is because of Star Wars. This is because of fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. That's not what's happening here. He is stepping down because he was ready to step away, and he helped the company move on a little further. Now, there are other CEOs. I'll use Michael Eisner as an example. He stayed probably a little longer than he should have. He probably should have retired about 10 years before he did. He helped the company recover and do some great things from where they were in the early 80s when he joined them. They were the subject of possibly a hostile takeover. And he helped shepherd them into something new and a new era of prosperity and some good things happening. So really tremendous things. But then he stayed around too long and tried to grow the company in a direction that maybe didn't make sense. Maybe it did. I don't know. But it was probably a little too long in terms of that. So you can make the case that there's a guy who stayed too long. I think Bob Iger probably stayed about the right amount of time. He helped Shepard in a few new things, and I think it was a really positive thing for the company. Now, the other things that are going to happen is that there's this coronavirus that's uh, coming across, and there's many people who have been uh, uh, sickened by it, and uh, some people have died, no question. So the Walt Disney Company, out of an abundance of caution and respect for the countries, 
has closed Shanghai Disneyland and Hong Kong Disneyland for the foreseeable future. They keep updating their website to say it's closed and they put a new date on it that they updated it and so forth. But there's no uh, distinct plan at this point for when they'll reopen them. So those two parks are closed sort of indefinitely at this point. Uh, And it's to ensure that there's no spread of the virus. You know, you have to remember in the close quarters of having a lot of people around when you're uh, in a situation like that in a theme park, there's the potential to spread a virus. So uh, they're trying to be extremely careful. Now, the problem for Disney is that they have to, they have invested a lot of money in the the properties that they have there. They have a lot of, uh, they have to provide security, still have to provide maintenance and still do some things. So it's costing them money without bringing any revenue in. I don't know how their their contracts work with the uh, the cast members that are there in either of the parks. I don't know if some of them are getting paid or not getting paid or what the deal is there, but certainly it's costing them something. And there's an opportunity cost there because those people aren't working. So it's it has an economic impact that has ripple effects. But for the Disney company, it's a real problem because they have to consider what that means for them and their bottom line. You know, the parks take up a, a large portion. It's not the largest portion, but it's a large portion of their uh, revenue uh, comes from there. And then a lot of their operating expenses obviously go to it too. So when you have uh, the balance of having two of your six worldwide parks closed, it's a problem. Now, Tokyo Disneyland has uh, said it's going to remain open for the foreseeable future, but that could change. What they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that they're mildly screening people who come in and that they're sending uh, cast members home who are sick, telling them not to come to work asking guests who are coming in, if you're not feeling well, please don't come in the park. Now, Tokyo is an unusual place uh, in the sense of there's millions of people that live in a very small uh, city. So people are very sensitive to uh, germs and uh, viruses and spreading of germs. So people are, uh, have a different sensibility there than they do in other cities. So people, if they feel sick, they will wear a mask. If they think there's a threat that they'll get sick, they'll wear a mask, they'll wear gloves. They'll do different things where they don't come into contact with other people. So there's a different level of, um, I'll say hygiene, though I don't mean it exactly as hygiene. There's a different level of hygiene than you'll see in other cities. So to this point, they haven't had the need to close uh, Tokyo Disneyland, but they're still monitoring it, and that could happen too. Euro Disneyland, I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, Disneyland Paris. I still call it by its original name. I don't know why. But anyway, they um, they remain open as well, but travel has diminished a little bit in the, in Europe. So the, uh, the park attendance is down a bit. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, it looks like it's a, it's a big thing at this point, but it could become a big thing if more cities and more towns become uh, infected in some way, that they may wind up uh, doing more closures. Again, they're telling cast members to stay home if they're sick and asking people not to come to the parks if they're sick and trying to do the right things. Um, but for the moment, they remain open, but uh, they're giving a little more leeway in terms of uh, people canceling trips. And then in the United States, you have uh, Disneyland in California and Walt Disney World in Florida, both of which remain open, but they're again reminding people, hey, if you're feeling sick, don't come. You know, it's okay. If the cast members are feeling sick, don't come. There was a group of uh, people who were contractors who worked for Disney who were in Italy uh, near the town that was infected, uh, a town that was infected there, and they were actually sent home. They were brought back to the United States and they were sent home and quarantined for 20 days or something and are just being held without being able to come to the work at the parks. So it's kind of an interesting thing. They're, they're aware of what's going on and they're, they're aware of the threat and uh, trying to keep track of it and just trying to make sure that things are safe. Look, I, you know, I have to think that sometimes you have to kind of take the news reports and under, you know, look a little deeper than just the report. There's a salacious headline that comes out about you know, the virus spreading and this and that and the other thing, but it, it doesn't necessarily go the way that they say it does. And there are other factors that 
influence it as well. That's not to say that it can't be a pandemic. That's not to say that it couldn't come here, that it couldn't affect people here, because that is certainly a possibility. But you have to use your own good judgment and be wise about the things you do. If you're planning a trip to the Walt Disney World Resort or to Disneyland, and you have concerns about it, if you booked through a travel agent, I might call that travel agent and just have a conversation about what your options are. Could I cancel? Should I cancel? Those kinds of things. If you booked it directly with Disney, Disney does have some discretion and some leeway in situations like this, where for some, in some cases, they may make an exception and refund you whatever you paid for certain activities. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to let you off the hook. It doesn't mean that if you bought a vacation package or something that they have to let it go and refund all your money, but they very well might. You have to ask the question and decide uh, what, what's right for you. So if you have any concerns about it or you're, you know, you're thinking about it, you might want to just reconsider. Um, you know, airlines have not announced any plans to uh, refund money or anything. Uh, but, you know, if you're flying to Disney World or Disneyland or anywhere else for that matter, you might want to contact the airline and see what their latest stat status is. If you're concerned about it at all. If you're not, then so be it. Go ahead and enjoy yourself. You know, just enjoy. I personally, I'm looking at it and I'm going, well, I was going to go to the Disney Resort. Uh, I was going to head up to Walt Disney World in uh, late March for spring break. And I'm not sure if I'm going to, I still may wind up going, but I'm a little more hesitant right now. And that's not to say that I'm in any way living in fear. It's just that I'm trying to be realistic about things. Look, I could, I'm probably going to wind up going in May anyway, so I might just hold off and just spend a little bit longer there in May. So that might be an option for me. For everyone else, you know, you have to make your own decisions, what's right for you, given the situation and what you think uh, would work. So, you know, make, a, make an informed decision and go off and do the... Uh, do the thing that works for you. Disney hasn't announced any cancellations or plans or changes at this point, but they continue to monitor things and they'll, they'll provide updates as needed. So just kind of keep that in mind. So that's, uh, that's a bit of a concern all the way around the world, and Disney uh, has to react to that. Now, as a result of the couple of parks that are closed in China, in Hong Kong, uh, Disney has a little bit less operating capital. And from what I hear, there's a couple of date slippages that are happening. So, you know, they had planned to open some things in early summer and they may get pushed to like midsummer or late summer. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really affect anything. It's still summer as far as that goes and they'll still do some previews and things. And they may open some of the attractions on time, but because they're trying to maintain a budget and keep things going, they're trying to make sure that that uh, doesn't have an impact, right? So, you know, they're, they want to make sure that they're being reasonable as well. I do know that uh, one of the primary things was the uh, China 360 film in Epcot. They had planned to release that, as I understand it, sometime in mid to late February, and they postponed that one out of respect for what's happening in China. They don't want to, you know, like promote tourism to China, certainly, um, until after things uh, change a little bit. So that will remain uh, on hold for now, um, but you'll get to see that film soon enough, I believe. Um, so that's kind of interesting. So Disney has, you know, sort of an interesting problem on its hands. They have to figure out how to best manage the situation and make sure that there's, uh, you know, that they're still making money and they're doing all the right things. So this is another topic that's surely going to come up during their shareholder meeting. What are they doing to protect against the virus spreading? What are they doing to protect their guests, their cast members, and so on? So it's an interesting problem that, uh, that Disney has right now. Then there's the third part to it, and this has to do with Disney's uh, revenue through the streaming services. Right now, there's like a bazillion streaming services out there. If you look at it, everybody has a streaming service, everybody and their brother. I think I might even have a streaming service. I just don't remember. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, you know, you have Netflix and Amazon Prime and CBS and NBC is going to launch something and HBO and Showtime and Hulu and on and on and on the list goes. 
And so you have to, you have to pick and choose what you want. I've been a cord cutter. I got rid of cable years ago. So I've been using uh, Hulu primarily for my, uh, for my live TV services, but I also have some streaming services. Now let me back up for a second and, and just kind of lay something out here for you. So the, the problem to Disney is Disney owns Hulu outright. They uh, made the purchase of it a few years ago. Uh, they completed the purchase of it when they finished the whole Fox acquisition. They owned a larger share of it, so they bought out all the other people who were in it. It was originally owned in, uh, by each of the individual networks had a share of it. And uh, so it worked out pretty well because everybody had a say in how it ran. But as Disney got more control, the other networks were looking to get out of the business because Disney had complete control. They had, you know, like three quarters of the shares or something like two thirds of the shares, something like that. So it made sense to sell out. So it's a wholly owned Disney product now. The other thing is ESPN. ESPN is an interesting product for Disney. When ESPN started off, they were the Enter Entertainment and Sports Programming Network. Don't know if you know that, but that's what they were. They had this idea to promote uh, entertainment and some sports. They had lower tiered sports. You know, they had some, uh, a few USFL games, the United States Football League they played at the time. They had a few hockey games. They had uh, some different, uh, you know, different, just below the tier of professional sports. Maybe they had some soccer and things like that on, but you know, like US uh, versions of it that they would air during the day. And, so, and they had this flagship show called Sports Center. So among all these things, they had some really interesting products out there that they were dealing with. And uh, it was kind of, kind of neat to see all the things they were doing. But they were very clever. The one thing they did was they went out and they, they worked with several different large scale of the cable providers. And they said, hey, we'd like to offer ESPN as a, something that you would provide in your base cable service. And we'd like to charge $4 per customer to have this product on there. And at first, you know, the cable companies all went, yeah, right, $4 per, that's crazy. Because the other cable companies, the other, the other uh, stations that were broadcasting, they were charging, you know, 50 cents. You know, so here was ESPN, this upstart, asking to charge a lot more for it. But somehow or other, they were able to uh, get people to agree to the deal. So several of the large cable outlets agreed to it. And so over the years, they've continued to appear on every major cable network in the United States at $4 at $4 a person. Each household is paying $4 for ESPN and ESPN2. And then they charge an additional amount for any of the other ESPN products, whether it's ESPN Classic or ESPN uh, News or whatever else, or ESPN3 for that matter. All of those other things are an additional charge. So they're making $4 per household. So if you figure, you know, one of the large cable providers has like 20 million subscribers, that's $4 times 20 million subscribers. That's $80 million they're making on that one particular cable provider. So you look across the nation, the nation and you realize that they're making hundreds of millions of dollars just on the subscription to their product. So when you look at it, that's a tremendous uh, asset to have. And, you know, they still charge for advertising. And they still have advertisements in their products. So they're making even more money than that. So when Disney acquired ESPN, it was a huge windfall for them because they had this $4 base subscription fee. So everybody was paying it and uh, they were making hundreds of, million hundreds of millions of dollars on it. So what a great deal for them. The challenge becomes as more people cut the cord like me, I'm not paying that $4 anymore. So I don't have that $4. I couldn't cut it out before when I, when I had cable, but now that I don't have cable, I have the choice of having it or not having it. So ESPN is smart. Disney is smart and they've added it in so in your base package for Sling, Hulu, and YouTube TV, you can have it in there and your price is lower, but the number of channels you have is a little different. So the packaging is a little different. And I'm not sure if they're getting the $4 off of that or some cut rate amount out of that, but they're getting something. 
So there, there's something that they're recovering out of that, but you have to realize that, you know, the, the, it's evolutionary and things are changing. Some people are going back and forth and not having it. Look, while with cable, I had to keep it for some period of time to keep a rate, I can pick and choose which of the streaming services I want to start and stop at any time. So I could, uh, currently I have Hulu with live TV, but tomorrow I could say, you know what, I don't want Hulu with live TV anymore and I can just get rid of it, in which case I'm not paying for ESPN anymore. Now, ESPN is not available a la carte. You can't buy it directly from Disney. You can't buy it uh, just going to the ESPN website. You can't do it that way. You have to buy it in a package. So they're making money based on the package deal that they're providing. But at some point, I figure that's got to change. I mean, and that's a challenge that Bob Chapek is going to have to deal with at some point. Uh, how is he going to deal with that streaming service and what's he going to do with it? So just, that's just to set a little context that there's a lot of things ahead of him that he has to worry about and be concerned about. Now, they do offer ESPN Plus is a separate entity, and ESPN Plus offers some fighting, some lower-tiered uh, college football games and basketball games, and a few other things, but nothing really that compelling. I see no reason to pay for it at this point. That could change, again, but for now, there's really nothing in it. They also offer uh, the Hulu without live streaming um, that's a couple of bucks a month. It's like five bucks a month, so you can package those two together, and you can also package Disney Plus in there. Now, Disney Plus is another... Uh, enigma to a point that uh, Bob Chapek's going to have to deal with. The launch of it was very much ballyhooed. There was a lot of attention given to it and there was a lot of interest in it. And when you go through the product today, you kind of go, yeah, there's not much great content in there. There's nothing really in there that's compelling me to stay and want to watch a lot of things. I'm more likely to watch Netflix or Amazon Prime for that matter than I am to watch uh, what's, whatever's in Disney+. Plus. Now, when The Mandalorian came out, the, the original, uh, the the Disney Plus original series. It's a great story that kind of takes place after the uh, sixth episode of uh, the Star Wars series and picks up a lot of threads, some from the uh, things that were in the comics, some that were in the uh, the uh, Star Wars Rebels series, some were in the Clone Wars, and you know some are just picked up in kind of new storylines. And they're picking all that up, and it's really clever. It's a great product. It's really fun to watch. I understand it's expensive to produce, but it's a really good product. So they ran, and a lot of people subscribed, watched the 10 or was it 12 episodes, something like that. And as soon as the episodes ended, they went ahead and canceled their Disney Plus service, which is your right to go ahead and cancel and renew at any time. So when it comes back out in November, I imagine they'll see a spike in the number of people that go in and uh, subscribe again. But this is the problem they have to deal with. How do you keep people engaged and make it interesting and compelling so they'll continue to spend the five, seven dollars a month, whatever it is, to have Disney Plus? It's a tricky thing. It's, you know, it's a really tough business to be in right now, and they're trying to figure out their way. They have a lot of content. Disney has a lot of production companies. They have a lot of content. They're doing a lot of interesting things, but they haven't quite figured out the streaming service and all the things that go along with that. So this media empire that they have, that's the biggest piece to the puzzle that they have. So that's the bigger one that's going to impact them uh, and their bottom line. So at the shareholder meeting that they have coming up, that's certainly going to be a topic for discussion too. How do you plan to keep that going and keep the, keep the revenue stream coming? Given that there's so many people knocking at the door and so many other things happening, how do you keep people engaged and that they want to see this? And big production movies, you had the, relatively speaking, failure of the Star Wars films you put out into theaters, and they cost, they were very expensive, and they didn't make as much money as you, as you would have liked. What are you going to do about that? Some of the other Disney movies did really well. Some of the cartoons did well. Some of the other uh, live-action movies did well. Some of the Fox properties they put out did well. And some of the distributed, distributed stuff that they didn't even produce themselves did really well. So you have to kind of balance all of that stuff, and he's got to figure out how to navigate all of that world, Mr. Chapek, that is, and figure out how to get it all together and make it work. 
So this is the challenge that's ahead of him. And I find it really interesting. And so far, you know, things look rosy for them right now, but that could change tomorrow. You know, if this uh, coronavirus extends at all and people stop traveling, then perhaps more streaming services, people want to stay home and watch more things on TV. Hey, that could be good for business, right? In that sense. But you have to kind of balance that because then fewer people are going to the parks. So you have the balance of, you know, they continue to raise the price of the parks because attendance is up. Is it going to stay that way? I don't know. And by the way, as far as attendance goes, it, it, January and February are really hard to gauge in the U.S. market because mo there aren't a lot of people who travel to the parks anyway. Anecdotally, people say, yeah, attendance was down a little bit in January and February, but that's traditionally true anyway. So we'll see when spring break starts in a week or so. We're past uh, Fat Tuesday, so we're into sp the spring break season. So we'll start to see if uh, the parks maintain their uh, attendance or have decent attendance as a, as a result of that, or if they uh, actually drop off a little bit. And that will be a telling indicator of how things are going because, you know, Disney is sort of a, you know, sort of this, uh, uh, what, do you, what do you call it, the bellwether? And you see it and you know exactly what's, what the uh, landscape looks like as far as the economy goes and travel goes, depending on how Disney does. So I find that interesting. But anyway, that's the, uh, that's the story. And uh, so this, this whole thing about Iger taking over and uh, I'm sorry, Iger leaving and Chapek taking over and all the things that happened. You know, a lot of it is just noise. You have to kind of look at the facts and just understand that there's a lot of things happening and it's always about the money and, and who's in control and the power and that kind of stuff, just as it is anywhere else. These, you know, the companies are going to make decisions that are in their own best interest to try and make themselves profitable. So we'll see what they continue to do. And it's going to be an interesting time. So there you go. Now, there was one other story that I heard about just yesterday that I just wanted to share quickly, and that was that the, uh, the Jungle Cruise had a boat that developed a problem of some kind. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but it started to fill with water. So they, uh, the Reedy Creek Fire Department came, and the uh, cast members were all good, and they got everybody off the boat. Some people had some wet shoes and uh, maybe wet bottoms of their pants because it was a little cooler, so the uh, people were wearing longer pants. Um, so they helped them out with that. I guess they replaced some of their clothes and whatever and dried them off and, you know, comp them some tickets or whatever they did, but they made it, they made it right by them. And uh, I just thought that was kind of funny. There's a couple of pictures out there of the uh, Jungle Cruise boat that's uh, filled with water. And it's interesting because this is not the first time this has happened. Um, it's happened with the Jungle Cruise, it's happened with the Pirates of the Caribbean, and I believe it's happened with some of the other water rides as well, that occasionally things go wrong. And that's just the nature of it. You try to maintain them in the best you can, but occasionally something will happen and there's some water and things, you know, things go wrong. Um, but Disney responds to them well and, and treats them well. I don't think you ever heard about the ones in the past because we didn't have social media. You just hear about it secondhand from somebody. But now you can see somebody posts a video or a, a couple of live tweets or some pictures or some other things right off the bat and you see it right away. So I just find that kind of funny that, that, that it changes like that. Well, anyway, that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. It was a little different. I just wanted to talk about some of the things that were happening around the company that I think were worth spending a few minutes on. So I will, uh, I'm going to leave you with that this week. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, 
I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 